still the Olympics. I know last week we used some examples from the Olympics. It's just too easy not to use examples from the Olympics, right? It's a great thing, and I, 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 we've been watching them every day, at least little portions of them. I don't know, anyone like record the whole thing and sit there for hours on end? Heather and Sarah will pray for you both. I just have to, true confessions right now, last night curling was on. That is the most amazing sport ever. That is so cool. I just sat there mesmerized. Okay, that has nothing to do with the sermon this morning. (laughs) But yesterday I also just, in scanning through, was watching a little bit of the, the women's cross country skiing relay. Got all that? So it's four women that that each are um, ski a leg of this cross-country skiing race. And cross-country skiing is is sort of like pulling your, your fingernails off while you're awake. I, I don't know. It's, it's this <laughs> amazing test of endurance and giving everything you have and just hoping you survive to the end. In fact, at the end of it, they're just collapsing because you just give everything. It's a difficult sport. And, and it's interesting because you have four skiers that are all in, in one race, right? Now, what happens if the first skier completely messes up and quits the race? What does that do to the other three? Ruins, it, it ruins it before it starts. It ends it before it starts. It ruins the race for all three. And so there's this dependency on each other, this continuity from one racer to the next. And as I was watching this, the women's U.S. team was, um, they weren't, they weren't up front. It's not necessarily our strength. And the last skier was just so exhausted that she, she was coming toward the end of the race and she made a wrong turn and ended up off course skiing somewhere, I think to one of the repair facility or training, training areas. And it didn't cost the U.S. a medal. We weren't going to, to medal anyway, but it did cost a place or two. And I remember seeing her come in just so dejected because she knew that she had let down, in in her mind, let down these other three skiers. In my mind, it's amazing what she was able to do and to be that exhausted and even have a hope of finding your way is amazing. And I think her her fellow skiers saw it that way as well. But she understood the, the importance of the continuity of each of these skiers and that they were all striving for the same goal. They were passing the baton one to another, and at each stage, it was that next skier's ski to, turn to ski. As we come to the end of 2 Timothy, we come to a similar moment. This is the, a, a very personal passage this morning, as Paul is coming to the end of his life, and he knows that execution is near. And he knows that his protege, Timothy, is the one that he has, has entrusted the gospel with and said, I am passing the baton to you. It's a little baton, but pretend. I am passing the baton of the gospel to you. And so I can just picture as he's in the, the dungeon, as he's in the cell, and we, we looked at pictures of that, and he's, he knows his time is short. He's ending his letter to Timothy. I can just picture it becoming just this sacred holy moment. Now he was writing, but if Timothy was there, he might say, Timothy, come here. Come here. I I need to tell you the most important thing in passing on my ministry. And if we were there, what would we do? What is it? What is it? And we'd be eavesdropping on this 
personal, emotional, touching moment where Paul is saying, this is what you need to do for me to pass the baton and finish well. And he hands the baton figuratively to Timothy and he says, preach the Word. Preach the Word. Never stop preaching the Word. Let nothing distract you from preaching the Word. Make it the center of everything you do. Timothy, my son, preach the Word. And he hands the baton off. That's the text this morning in a nutshell, but we're still going to study it. But let's turn to 2 Timothy chapter 4. And listen in as Paul talks to one of his dearest friends, his son in the faith, the one he is handing off his ministry to. And as we eavesdrop, as we listen in, let's learn from this. Because this isn't just for Timothy. This is the inspired Word of God. In fact, we just read that it's profitable for teaching, for correction, for reproof, for instruction in righteousness. And we know that Timothy was instructed to take everything Paul taught him and pass it off, hand the baton to other men who would do the same thing. We've seen commands that says, teach these things to the church. And so while this is a very personal passage, very specific to Timothy, it's also for you and I in each of our situations and in our contexts. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 1. And the first point in your notes, the charge. The charge. Preach the Word. Preach the Word. Always preach the Word. So Paul starts in verse 1, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is the judge, the living and the dead, and by His appearing and His kingdom. And in verse 2, he's going to get to the actual charge, but he starts by giving the basis of the charge, the seriousness of the charge. And so we see from this verse that the charge has divine weight and ramifications. Divine weight and ramifications. Look at the different elements of verse 1. I charge you in the presence of God and Christ Jesus. Well, if you're going to bring in witnesses, those are probably two of the biggest ones you can bring in, right? Let's bring in the Creator of the universe, God Almighty, and Jesus Christ, who, (coughs) through whom God created everything, who died on the cross for our sins. And the language here is almost that of a subpoena. This was was similar language to what they would use. And so it's the idea of, if you've ever been in court, which hopefully not too many have, but if you've ever been in court, sometimes they'll say, please rise, you are in the presence of the honorable so-and-so. And that's the idea of presence here. It's this, this legal language, subpoena language of a, of a courtroom saying, you are in the presence, Timothy, of God Almighty and His Son, Jesus Christ. And so we see a divine weight to what Paul is going to pass on to Timothy. And if you read there, it describes Jesus Christ who is to judge the living and the dead. And so right from the start, this divine weight is continuing the the idea of a courtroom and judging. And it says, Jesus will judge the living and the dead. Living and the dead pretty much covers it, right? What he's trying to say is everyone will be called to account with Jesus Christ. If you're alive, you'll be called to account when He returns. If you've already passed away, you will be called into account. 
In 2 Corinthians 5.10, we read, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. There's no getting out of it. None escape the judge that God the Father has given the task of judging to Jesus Christ. And we know that believers are judged at the second coming of Christ, at the Bema seat, and they're judged based on how they have been, how they have fulfilled this trust that they've been given. You've been entrusted with the gospel, with salvation. What have you done with it? And that judgment is more about rewards and, and accountability. We know that the unbelievers are then later judged at the great white throne judgment, and those that our names are not written in the book of life are sent to eternal condemnation in hell but all will be judged. Do you sense the seriousness of the passage? So Paul isn't just saying, I'm at the end of my life. I have something important to pass on. He says, I'm at the end of my life in the presence of God Almighty. I have something to pass on. A divine weight. He was the judge of the living and the dead. And then he he adds two more things. And by His appearing and by His kingdom. And when we think of His appearing in His kingdom, there's a sense of urgency that Paul is passing on to Timothy. Jesus is coming back. We don't know when. It could be today. Wouldn't that be wonderful? Could be next week. Could be a thousand years from now. But Jesus is coming back. And so Paul brings that up to Timothy to remind him time is short. Time is short, and so ministry of the ministry of God's Word is vitally important. There's a divine weight to it. There's ramifications that are divine for heaven and hell, for eternal souls. So this is not something to be trifled with. And finally, the last point there is His kingdom. The not yet portion of His kingdom. We are the kingdom of God. It is in some sense already here but we're still waiting for the ultimate fulfillment of the kingdom, aren't we? When sin is wiped out, when we are in the presence of God Almighty, when we're seeing Him face to face. And so Paul starts by saying this charge has divine weight and ramifications. The judge is coming. Don't waste your time. And then in verse 2, he gets to the commands. And verse 2 starts a series of actually nine commands or nine imperatives in the next four verses. But the first one is the key to understanding this passage. In verse 2, he starts by saying, preach the Word. And that's why point number one in your notes is preach the Word. Preach the Word. And this command is the controlling command for the entire passage, for all the rest. The next four commands talk about how to preach the words. The four that we'll see in in verse 5 are a reminder to constantly and to continue to preach the Word. But the first command, preach the Word, is to herald the Word. The idea of preaching is to proclaim, to herald something, to to take good news and make sure everybody knows it. What kind of good news do we make sure everybody knows? Maybe things like a marriage, or a new baby, or Boston winning the World Series. We make sure everybody knows these these pieces of good news. And Paul is saying, preach the Word, Timothy. You proclaim it. You declare it. 
Now we might say, okay, that's great for Timothy. And you know, I could even see, Pastor Ron, how that applies to you. You get to stand up front and preach the word. But keep in mind, this applies to all of us because this is, um, Timothy is to hand the baton off. Teach the church these things. Teach others these things. And that doesn't mean that everyone in the room comes up and preaches the word on Sunday morning. So we have this idea of preaching and that's the, the 45 minutes on Sunday morning that we come and listen to. But to declare the Word, to proclaim the Word, is something you and I can do every day. Every moment of every day. Do we incorporate God's Word in our speech? Do we tell other people the good news about Christ? Are we sharing the Gospel? Village, that's why we're here. is to preach the Word. This comes down the, the line of commands that we've been studying in First and Second Timothy that you're entrusted with the Gospel, Timothy. You're entrusted with the Word. You're entrusted with salvation. Now do something with it. We are entrusted. You are. I am. And it means where, whatever our circumstances, we are faithful to God's Word. To making it visible to those around us. For me, that means I need to be faithful here and make sure I'm teaching the truth of God's Word and I've studied to the best of my ability and that you hear God's Word more than anything else when you come on Sunday morning. It's why we're not going to do ten steps to a better you. We're going to do, this is what God said, our steps to Christ and to studying the Gospel. And we're going to get that from God's Word. And so Paul is reminding Timothy, God's Word is central to everything you do. Don't get distracted. Don't try to somehow please people and ignore God's Word. This is truth. And I'm challenged by the weight of that. That this is what Paul would say in his last words to his son in the faith. So you and I are to preach the Word. To herald the Word. To do that, a couple things have to happen. We need to saturate ourselves with Scripture. See, to preach the Word, you have to know the Word. To be able to tell somebody how to apply Scripture to their lives, you have to know how to apply Scripture to life. You have to know it. The only way that happens is to saturate yourself with it. To read it as often as you can to come and be diligent to the teaching of God's Word on Sunday morning and in our Sunday school classes, to find every way that you can to saturate yourself with God's Word. Because just like a sponge, as you saturate yourself and fill yourself with God's Word, God's Word will just start to ooze out of every area of your life. And God's Word is powerful. It is effective. It is sharp as a two-edged sword. Things you can do or be reading God's Word, studying it, memorize it. I encourage you to, to have flashcards and, and memorize God's Word because then those verses come up. The Holy Spirit brings those up when we need it. To take advantage of every opportunity. You know, a, a great way to do it is throughout your day as you encounter situations, just to start asking yourself a simple question. What verse would apply to this? You know, it's a great way to start to train our minds to be thinking about verses and applying them to life. You know, this, this co-worker just came and, and just, just criticized me and just got angry with me and laid me out. What verse applies to this? How can I take God's Word 
and make it part of my life. If you get home and you're like, well, I don't know what verse would have applied to that. I don't know what verse would have, would have applied to correcting my children in this case. That's a great time to start looking things up. Say, so, okay, I don't know, but I'm going to find out. It's a commitment to God's Word. And so we have to saturate ourselves and know it to be able to preach it. You know, one of the ways that when we think of preaching the Word is including it in our conversation. See, so many times we think, well, I'm going to preach the Word with my life. And absolutely you need to. It's not enough. I think that so many times becomes an excuse for us to not speak the Word. And so I I encourage you to start including God's Word in conversations. As you write notes to people, maybe you're writing a note to someone in the church, think of a verse that God would would want them to hear and add that to the bottom. Just make Scripture part of everyday life. People might think that you're a little Jesus crazy. Amen. Because it's about His Word. And His Word is powerful. So preach the Word. Paul then, in these next four commands, defines that a little bit. Next command is to be ready in season and out of season. To be ready in season and out of season. And the idea is to always be on duty. To be on call. And to, no matter the circumstances, be ready to share God's Word. And so you can picture Paul here as he's talking to Timothy Preach the Word. I don't care if you feel like it or not, Timothy. Preach the Word. I don't care if you think people are listening or not. Preach the Word. I don't care if it's convenient or not. Preach the Word. Are you sensing a theme? And so the idea of being ready in season and out of season says no matter the circumstances, no matter the convenience, I am ready to share God's Word. Again, we have to know it to be ready. One author, looking at this word and looking at this concept, was comparing it to a doctor in an emergency room or an obstetrician waiting to deliver a child. Do you know when the child's coming? No. Is it usually at the most convenient time in the world, ladies? No. I remember with Mark, one in the morning. And I'd love to say, you know, we're sleeping Can we hold off for eight hours? Doesn't work that way. And so the idea of being ready in season and out of season is at a moment's call, no matter what, you are ready to apply God's Word and to share God's Word. That's Paul's instruction to Timothy. He goes on then to give three ways to use God's Word. Because we not only have to be ready with it, we have to know how to use it. And in different situations, we'll use different Scripture And you need to be comfortable with Scripture to be able to do this. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort. Learn how to use Scripture in different situations. And the, the idea of reprove, and we talked about these a little bit last week, but reprove is to bring to light or to convince somebody. This is almost the the mental aspect of God's Word, of taking an argument and applying God's Word and saying this is what God's Word says and leading someone to truth intellectually and and, and with an understanding of what God's Word says. Rebuke, then it's a sister word to this. These are both a little bit more on the negative side. Reproving when someone is in error. Rebuking is when someone is in sin. And we talked about that last week. Saying you're about to fall off a cliff, brother or sister. You're in sin. This is wrong. It needs to change because God's Word says this. 
That deals more with the, the, the moral aspect, the conscience, the heart. And then finally, the third th- word he uses is exhort. Parakaleo, which sometimes we use as a word for encourage. It's used of the Holy Spirit. And this is more the positive word. The first two are a little more negative, correcting and rebuking. This is encouraging, coming alongside someone that maybe has been rebuked, that has been corrected, and, and encouraging them with God's Word. This might be knowing that someone's going through a difficult time medically or, or with situations in life, and you write them a note this week encouraging them, and you add Scripture to it to encourage them. That's obeying this command. And using God's Word to encourage. Think of even the word encourage. It's to give courage to somebody. To boost them up. And so we have a balance there. Reprove and rebuke and encourage. We need to know the situations and how to use it. But the command here is to preach the Word. And these are are descriptions of how that happens. Paul goes on in verse 2 and, and he, he adds one more aspect to preaching the Word, especially of reproving, rebuking, and exhorting with complete patience and teaching. With complete patience and teaching. And he's qualifying the above commands. He's saying not only the right content, but you need to have the right attitude, the right approach. To be patient is to continue to teach to not lose your cool when someone just doesn't get it. You know, our, our last child is in kindergarten now. So we, we've been through in the last three years, three in kindergarten. For those of you that are kindergarten teachers, you are amazing. Because there is nothing more frustrating, and maybe it's just me, to saying something to a child over and over and over again. They're like, I don't know. Because they're learning. They're trying to get it. And as a kindergarten teacher, you have to be patient, right? And you keep teaching. And you keep leading along the way. That's, that's what Paul is saying here. To Timothy, he's like, you're going to preach the Word and people aren't going to get it right away. You're going to say, why aren't you applying to this to your life? Are, are you crazy? And Paul says, no, be patient. Continue with the truth. This is a marathon, not a sprint. And walk with someone along the way and train them. And the idea of teaching, the second word there, is this idea of leading someone to the truth. So many times we, when we know we want to help somebody, we just want to tell them the truth, right? This is what you should do. Go do it. And that rarely is effective long-term in church ministry. What is far more effective is lead them through God's Word to understanding that they need to do that. And now they'll do it. Now that takes work. It takes time. It takes effort. And so Paul says, preach the word. Take the time. Take the effort. This is core to everything we are to be. Do we love God's word? Do we saturate ourselves with God's Word? Are we ready to preach the Word in season and out of season, no matter the circumstance, in an appropriate way, in an appropriate setting? Loved the story of a, a young French girl that was born blind. Loved God, loved Jesus. and Someone gave her the book of Mark in Braille. And she just read the book of Mark over and over and over again. And she was so enthralled at being able to read God's Word. 
And eventually her fingers got, the, the tips became callous. And so she would try to read the book of Mark and she couldn't read anymore because she couldn't tell the, 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 she couldn't distinguish the dots. And so she took a knife and tried to cut off the calluses to try to be able to feel again. But that ended up creating scar tissue that all feeling in the tips of her fingers were gone. And she was in distress and she took the book of Mark that she had and said, Heavenly Father, I can no longer read your sweet scripture. And she kissed it. And at that moment, she realized her lips still had feeling and were very sensitive. And for the rest of her life, she read the book of Mark with her lips. What an example of loving God's word, of being saturated with it, of doing whatever it takes to learn it. And so Paul leans into Timothy and says, preach the word. Know it. Love it. Use it. He goes on in verses 3 and 4 to say why. One of the reasons why, and this is very specific to Timothy's situation, but it applies to us today. He says, For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but have itching ears. They will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. And we know in Ephesus where Timothy was serving that False teachers were already leading people astray and saying the resurrection had already happened and, and all these other kinds of myths and genealogies. And Paul is saying it is far, far more important than almost anything else you can do in ministry to apply God's Word, to know it. That is the anchor that will help you fight these battles, that will keep you from straying. The time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching. And, and the word for sound there is healthy. They won't want to listen to healthy teaching. They won't want to eat their vegetables. They want the easy, the funny, the charismatic. But charisma wears off. God's word never fails. And I would much rather listen to a man that was faithfully expounding God's word than someone that was really funny with no, no content. But these people wouldn't endure sound teaching anymore. They had itching ears. And that was a word that was used for curiosity. One of their ears tickled. Give me something new. Give me something exciting. And the question shouldn't be, am I going to learn something new today, but am I going to be challenged to apply what I already know out of God's Word? Now we should be learning, and there will be new things but if you've been a believer 30, 40 years and read through the Bible five times, the new things are going to look different. The new things are going to be understanding how to apply truths you've already read to, to your current situations. One commentary said they craved spicy bits of information due to mere curiosity, but it didn't penetrate beyond their ears. So Paul said, Timothy... People are just going to want to hear things and not apply it. People are not going to want to internalize God's Word. Preach the Word. Don't stop. It's all the more important. Preach the Word. Newt Larson said, The human heart works hard to fortify itself against truth. 
creating rationalizations and systems of thought to justify selfishness. And in verse 3 there at the end, you see they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions. It's the self-love we talked about two weeks ago. And they're so consumed by it that now it affects who they want to listen to. Rather than what they want to hear. God's Word. So they loved the novelty, but refused to hear the truth. Today we start a new Sunday school class that I invite all of you to that aren't already in a class. I don't want to decimate the other classes. But we're going to be studying the cults of world religions and talking about how do we answer with God's Word, how do we answer in truth some of the, the philosophies and systems of thought and religions that are out there. In verse 5, we get to the next point. First point was preach the Word. Second point, keep preaching the Word. <laughs> Since a theme... Listen to what Paul does, because now Paul comes to Timothy and he's reminding him to be, to, he's reminding him to be faithful to this. He's reminding him to constancy and challenging him to constancy. He says, as for you, and we get four more commands here, as for you, which is in contrast to the people that just want their ears tickled and the false teachers, as for you, always be sober-minded, endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. And all of things, all of these things have to do with continuing and being faithful to run the race. To continue the race. And, and let's just explore these four for a minute. Be sober-minded. The idea is to keep your head in all situations. Keep your head on you, man. That's what Paul's telling Timothy. Don't get caught up in the criticism. Don't get caught up in the waves of whatever. Keep your head on your shoulders. Know what you're doing. Fight the good fight. Know why you're doing what you're doing. Don't be distracted. Make sure you focus on the right things and spend your energy on what matters. Be sober-minded. Be clear-headed. The next thing there is endure suffering. Don't quit. Keep going. Finish the race, even if you're exhausted. Endure suffering. Endure persecution and criticism. Not give up when it comes, but continue through it. Paul knew what he was talking about, didn't he? Had the man suffered? He'd been through some things. In 2 Corinthians 11, 24-28, he just was summarizing for the church at Corinth who was questioning some of his credentials. Five times I received at the hands of the Jews the 40 lashes less one. So 39 instead of 40 because one of the, the thoughts was that 40 might kill you. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea, on frequent journeys in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from the Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers, in toil and hardship through many a sleepless night, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure, and apart from other things, there is the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches." His resume was amazing of what he had been through. Some might call that failure, but Paul had the credibility to lean into Timothy and say, endure hardship. Don't give up. Timothy knew what Paul had been through. And Paul's at the end of his life knowing that he completed the course. And we'll talk about that in a moment. 
So this is powerful for Paul to say, endure suffering. There are times in ministry that you're exhausted, aren't there? There are times when when you're, you're trying to reach somebody or there's times when you're serving that you're like, I'm just t- tired. I don't even know if I can continue. Read Paul's list. And then his challenge to endure suffering. Because it's about the Gospel and it's about the Word of God. And so the third one he mentions there is do the work of an evangelist. Make sure you're sharing the Gospel. You know, when we talk about spiritual gifts, often we, we, we talk about, well, that person has the gift of evangelism. And there's some people in here that, that they just share the Gospel in two sentences and people are coming to Christ. It's a wonderful thing and the Holy Spirit is using them. But Paul says to Timothy and to all of us, it's everyone's responsibility. Are you sharing the Gospel? Do we know what the Gospel is? That we are in sin and, we, and because we have rebelled against God and in sin, we deserve hell and we deserve separation from God. And the only way we can come to God is if He steps in and handles the penalty for our sin. And so He sent Jesus Christ, His Son, to die on the cross in our place to pay the penalty for that sin. And because He did that, if we believe on Him and give Him our lives, we can have eternal life with Him and God the Father. That's good news. That's the Gospel. If there's someone here this morning that has never heard that and never done that, today's the day. Because Jesus died for your sins in your place. And it's a choice between do I take the the rightful consequences of my sin and be punished for all eternity? Or do I give my heart and believe in Jesus Christ and say, thank you for your sacrifice. I follow you with my life. And spend eternity with Him. That's good news. I challenge you to make sure if you've never done that, that today's the day. And so Paul's reminding Timothy, never let the Gospel be far from what you're saying. And finally, fulfill your ministry. Fulfill your ministry. And it's not the ministry. You know, sometimes we talk about full-time ministry and, well, you and Pastor Andrew are, are in the ministry. The, the word here is more the idea of serving. In fact, it's diakonos, which is what we use to, for deacons or those that wait tables or serve in that way. And Paul is saying, fulfill or complete being a servant. Preach the Word, but how you, one of the ways you do that is by living the Word and being a servant and fulfilling what God has asked you to do. Four reminders in verse 5. Keep your head. Endure suffering. Do the work of an evangelist. Fulfill your ministry. Alistair Begg one time was meeting with a number of pastors and he was reflecting on this verse. And he said this, I increasingly find that verse to be the anchor point for all of my days. I wake up on a Monday and say, well, what will I do now? I'm not going to do the English accent that he has. Then I say, well, I think I'll try to keep my head, endure hardship, do the work of the evangelist, and discharge all the duties of my ministry. And when I'm lifted up by a little encouragement, which sometimes comes, he says, I say to myself, well, what shall I do? The answer is keep your head, endure hardship, and so on. 
He paused and then went on to these pastors. And when the waves beat on me, and I just feel like running away to the hills somewhere, what should I do? Well, Alistair, keep your head, endure hardship, do the work of an evangelist, and discharge all the duties of your ministry. It's powerful. So Paul has leaned into Timothy and says, preach the word. And now he says, keep preaching the word. And we get to verses 6-8 through eight and we get Paul's words about himself and the third point then is to continue after others who have preached the Word. Preach the Word, keep preaching the Word, continue after others who are preaching the Word or have preached the Word. And Paul talks about the end of his ministry. The passing of the baton. And we read, starting in verse 6, what are very emotional words. I know in the Acts class you're studying the beginning of Paul's ministry. And here this is 30 years later. 30 years of faithful ministry. And Paul says, for I. And he's using that to tie it in with what he just said. And the idea is, Timothy, preach the word. I'm passing the baton because my life is about over. For I. For I am already being poured out as a drink offering. And the time of my departure has come. Chilling words. Sobering words. And, and, and filled with all kinds of meaning. A drink offering, we know from Numbers, was an offering of wine that was poured out onto the altar. But it was poured out after two other offerings were given. And so you had um, the, the meat offering or the, the burnt offering, and then you had a grain offering, and at the end of it was this drink offering that sort of topped it all off. We have a, a saying in our house, well, that's just the cherry on top, you know, sort of the... the the final straw, the thing that tops it all off. That was the drink offering. And so for Paul to say he was being poured out as a drink offering was to say all these other offerings have already happened and we're at the end. The final offering of surrender to my king. Some have thought, well, maybe it also refers to he knows he's about to die. He's probably going to be beheaded because a Roman citizen wasn't allowed to be crucified and there would be blood pouring out, which is what the wine represented. But he says, my offering is done. And then he says, the time of my departure is near. And again, that word for departure is a beautiful word. They used it in a couple of other situations. One of them was when an army was picking up camp to go home. The the, the uprooting of their tents was called their departure. This specific word was used. The other way it was used was when a ship was leaving port to go home. The, the pulling up of the anchor and the taking of the ropes off the dock. And so when he says the time of his departure is near, he's saying, yes, it's about over here, but I'm going home. I'm going to heaven with my Lord and Savior. And even though it's a, a, a sobering statement, it's a joyous statement of what God is doing. But then he goes on to summarize his ministry and each of the the statements in verse 7 are a a past tense statement of what has been completed. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. It's hard not to tear up when I read those. I have fought the good fight. A man at the end of his ministry saying, I have fought the good fight. 
And he's talking there about he's pursued the right things. He hasn't just run any race. He's run the right race. The noble race. And so he's, I have chosen to, to be faithful to what God has asked me to do, not what I wanted to do. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. Or some of your translations say, I have finished the course. And it's the idea of staying on track. I know we talked about the skier that got off track. But Paul stayed on track and faithfully finished the race. These are the two things that he just told Timothy when he said, keep preaching the Word. And then finally, the third one, I have kept the faith. And that doesn't just mean I I have stayed close to God, but he's calling to mind the entrusted terminology we've been using. When you keep something, that word was to keep something in trust, to guard it, to protect it, to use it as it's to be used. And so Paul is bringing back the theme that 1st and 2nd Timothy at the end and saying it's about that trust. It's about rightly being entrusted with the Gospel and what I do with that. I wanted to read a couple verses. 1st Timothy 6.12 We studied this. Fight the good fight of faith. And so you see this theme in Paul's writing. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called and about which you made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. It's a challenge to fight the faith, to take hold of eternal life, to be entrusted with it. In 2 Timothy 1.14, Paul says to Timothy, by the Holy Spirit who dwells within us, guard the good deposit entrusted to you. Guard the good entrusted the deposit entrusted to you. We've been entrusted with the greatest gift ever, and that's salvation. And so are we going to do something with it? And so when Paul says, I have kept the faith, he's telling Timothy, I also was entrusted with the gospel. And I have honored that trust well. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the course. I have kept the faith. I pray that at the end of my ministry I can say that. I long for the day of standing in front of my Savior and King. And I pray that I've lived a life that He will say, well done, good and faithful servant. And so this motivates all of us to to follow in the line of those that have gone before. I long for every one of you to be able to say the same thing. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. And he ends with verse 8, a looking forward to his eternal reward with Christ. Henceforth there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness. He knows when he gets to heaven the wreath, and this is the victor's wreath in the Olympics, it's the gold medal. The gold medal is that I will be righteous before God. And, and he knows that we already have Christ's righteousness, but again, it's an incomplete righteousness, right? Anyone sin this week? Don't raise your hands. It's an incomplete righteousness, and Paul is looking forward to the day, the, the not yet, when it will be complete. Which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award me on that day. And not only to me, but to all who have loved his appearing. 
Paul passes the baton to Timothy in a personal, precious statement. And he says, preach the word. Keep preaching the word. Follow my example. And Timothy then passed on the baton to others. And those men and women passed the baton on to others. And we come to today, in village, it is our time to pick up the baton. It is our time to preach the Word. It is our time to keep preaching the Word. To make sure our lives are are singularly focused on what God would have us do. Because we are entrusted with the Gospel. And so our, our, our challenge this morning as we hear Paul's words to Timothy, as we lean in and eavesdrop, is will I pick up the baton and run? Or will I leave it sitting on the floor? Because we want to be able to say, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. So in the back, we have a basket of batons. I love things like this. And I encourage you to take one and just put it somewhere where you see it to remind yourself it's our turn. It's our leg of the race. Run well. Let's pray. Lord God, our Father, I pray that we would be a people of Your Word. To study it, to preach it, to talk it, to live it. That we will be about Your task and fight the good fight. Lord, help us to reorder priorities, reorder schedules to make sure that we are saturating ourselves with God's Word. To be looking for opportunities in season and out of season to apply God's Word, to help others and encourage others with it, to correct others with it. Lord, because as we do, Your Word, the power of Your Word, goes forth in mighty ways. May we be a faithful church to Your call. In Jesus' name, amen.